stand if we can for the reading of God's Word. If you're able to do that, Mark 14, verse 32, down through verse number 38. And we're going to read these verses responsively. We'll read every other verse together. We'll begin in verse 32. Read with that pattern down through verse 38. Together, verse 32. Ready? And they came to a place which was called Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little while and fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldest not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. We are considering the commands of Christ this calendar year. And we're looking at this series of sermons entitled, My Calling. We've already considered the callings to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we've looked at the calling to seek first the kingdom of God. And last week we looked at the calling to be ready, be ready. This week we look at Christ's calling to us to watch and pray. Watch and pray. Let's go to the Lord this morning by word of prayer. God help us, guide us. Control our hearts just for the next few minutes. Lord, would you help us to lock in on the Bible. And may the Word of God find room in our heart to, uh, Lord, uh, bring forth an abundance of fruit of repentance and growth. And Lord, help us to leave here today different than we were upon arrival. Help us to be challenged by the Word of God. Lord, help us to relate with Scripture. And then, Lord, help us to be uh, uh, those who leave here Determined to not only be hearers, but doers. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, children grow up with teddy bears, and small children often figure that since the toys are cuddly, the real things must be also. And in 1990, two small boys scaled the fence at the Bronx Zoo in New York City and climbed into the polar bear compound. The next day, they were found dead, mauled to death. What I want to say to you this morning is that your pet sin will eventually grow up and kill you. Your pet sin will one day get you. Everywhere you turn, you will find temptation. It's everywhere you turn. Uh, what exactly is temptation? I gave some thought to that this week, and uh, this is original with me, although there's nothing original. Uh, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun, right? Uh, someone said you can be original or you can be nothing. Someone tried to be original, they ended up being both, okay? So uh, while there's really nothing original, I've never heard what I'm about to share with you before. This just came through my own thought and, and study and meditation. Um, temptation is the marketing department for sin. Temptation is the marketing department for sin. There's a street, a boulevard, an avenue in New York City where they come up with jingles and they come up with, um, uh, let's see, slogans to get you to buy things, all right? We can call it Temptation Avenue. Uh, They're tempting you to spend their money. I think that's called Madison Ave. Is that correct? Madison Ave. All of you looking at me like you just don't know, all right? I believe that's Madison Avenue where they, uh, they come up with all this stuff. Somewhere on a proverbial or metaphorical Madison Ave is a building where Satan has set up shop and uh, it is Temptation Incorporated. Temptation is the marketing department 
for sin. You see, if sin was just exposed for what it is, and sin was understood to be exactly as it is, none of us would want to run to it or be involved in it. But temptation uh, uh, tells the same lie over and over again, that if you will give in to evil, or you will uh, commit wrongdoing, then as a result, you will be healthier, you will be happier, and you will be wiser. Healthier, happier, and wiser. Just give in to sin, just buy in, just do it, just commit it, and everything will be better. You'll be better off. Isn't that what temptation did to Eve in the Garden of Eden? The day that you eat this fruit... Ye shall be as a God, discerning good and evil. You will be wiser. You will be healthier. Hey, Eve, you will be better off if you'll just buy in to sin. Uh, Let me ask you a question this morning. Why did you get up, get dressed, and come to church this morning? Now think about that for a moment. Why are you here? There's a lot of places you could have been. But you chose to come here. You're Here this morning, there are many right answers to that question, but all of the right answers center around this idea that you would want to be a a devoted follower of Christ. That's why you're here. That's why you ought to want to be here. Some people come to church for wrong reasons, but if you're here for a right reason, it's because you are a devoted follower of Christ, or you desire to be. You know what churches are? They're Jesus communities. That's what we are. Uh, we're not here to worship a man. This is, this is not the Richard Lejeune show. This is, the G, this, is, this is about lifting up Jesus Christ and making much of Him. Churches that follow a man, that is what leads us into a cult. We're following a cult. This is not about a man. This is not about a group of people. This is not a, about a person. This is about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is to be the focal point of our lives. He's to be who we follow. He's to be who we obey because churches are to be Jesus communities. There are places where we learn more about our Savior, yes, intellectually, but we also are inspired to leave this place and go live for Him. We ought to live for Jesus. You know what church attendance, regular church attendance, is just one evidence that you are a devoted and dedicated follower of the Christ who saved you. In a survey conducted some years back, church attenders were anonymously asked to rank the, spirit, uh, the greatest spiritual challenges they face. And so they were given a sheet of paper, and on that sheet of paper there was about 25 or 30 different struggles, and they were to rank them from what they struggled with the most to the least, at least 1 through 10. Here were the top consensus top nine, all right? The greatest spiritual challenges they face. See if you battle against any of these in your life. Top of the list for those who anonymously took this survey was materialism. Materialism. Number two was pride. Number three was self-centeredness. Number four was laziness. And all the Gen Xers and baby boomers say, oh, that's those millennials. They're lazy, all right? I've heard it my whole life, all right? Matthew was telling me the other day, why did Gen Zers get picked on so hard? I said, brother man, every generation gets picked on by the older generation. How many of you in here that are in your 60s and 70s, the generations older than you, picked on you and said you're not as good as they were? Everyone faces that. Everyone deals with that. And so if Lou Marino doesn't stop giving me a hard time. No, I'm just teasing. Um, it's really Mike. Mike Yankowski loves... He just, he just harasses me nonstop. Look at him hiding back there, right? Uh, but um, laziness was on the list. That was, I believe, number, uh, uh, let's see, number four. Number five and number six were tied, all right? Uh, bitter anger, they grouped into one category, and then that was tied with sexual lust, all right? And then number seven was envy. Number eight was gluttony. And number nine was lying, all right? I know this, deep down in my flesh, or rather deep down in my heart, I want my flesh to lose against the Spirit every single time. How many of you with me this morning? You want the flesh to lose to the Spirit every single time. 
When I'm faced with doing right or wrong, I want to do right. I do. And I don't think you'd be here this morning if you didn't want to do right. I'm also aware that I don't always do right. If I'm honest this morning, oftentimes I end up doing wrong. I I regularly proclaim verbally, out loud, that I want to be a devoted servant of Christ that leans not on my own understanding, but I end up being a self-centered know-it-all who ends up leaning on my own life's experiences. Us adults, we're sophisticated. Teenagers are in the process of learning sophistication. What is sophistication? Getting people to believe something about you that isn't true. That's sophistication. You know what? I don't want you to think about me. The same thing you don't want me to think about you. I don't want you to think about me that I'm a know-it-all. I don't want you going, oh, that pastor was earned. He's a know-it-all. Now, you may feel that way and you may say that sometimes and other people may say that about you, but I sure don't want you to feel that way and I sure don't want you to say it. But if I'm being honest with you this morning, when I lean on my own understanding instead of trusting God and when I operate in mode of the flesh instead of the Spirit, you know what I'm telling the Spirit? I know what I'm doing and I've got this figured out. I don't need your help. I am a know-it-all. And when you lean on the flesh, you do the same thing. Where does this kind of going back and forth between the spirit and the flesh, where does this get me and you? It gets us into a place of life's instability. Consider James 1.8. James 1.8 says this. It says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Hey, today I'm over here. I'm going to live by the Spirit. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to get up and go to church. I'm going to text and encourage someone. I'm going to say encouraging things. I'm going to walk in truth. And then tomorrow I'm over here and I'm indulging in, in lust and I'm, 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 I'm filled with pride and I'm getting angry and, and I'm down in the mouth and I'm discouraging and I'm, I'm watching things on TV that are sinful and I'm listening to music on the radio that's wrong and I'm involved in things that I'm wrapped up in things that are simple. And then I go to church and hear a sermon. I get back over here and I get back on the right train. And then I'm back over here and I'm on the wrong train. And the next thing you know, I'm in the middle and I'm unstable in all my ways. Am I describing where any of you are living today? Because as a Christian, I myself have lived in the middle, bouncing back and forth far more often than I would want to admit. In fact, even the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians ever to live, he articulated this struggle in Romans chapter 7, and I paraphrase, in essence, he said, the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And the things that I want to do, somehow I end up not doing. You leave church today and you say, I'm going to read my Bible every day for the next month. And you wake up three days from now and you forget to read your Bible. Man, you wanted to do it, and then it just didn't happen. I'm going to be a prayer warrior. I'm going to get on my knees, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to call down the power of God from heaven. I'm going to walk in the Spirit. And you get a weekend, and all of a sudden, you went a whole day or two, and you haven't prayed. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. The things that I want to do, I don't end up doing. And then Paul, in his discouragement, he says this, Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, I can relate with you, Paul. Oh, I totally get where you're coming from. In our text, Matthew 14, we find Jesus in his disciple, and his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has asked Peter, James, and John to pray with him because he is in great agony of soul. Jesus is is visually upset. He's visually bothered. But instead of praying, the disciples end up sleeping. They end up sleeping. Instead of praying, they end up sleeping. They wanted to be there for Jesus during His time of agony. Their spirit was ready. But their flesh was weak. I believe that many of you here today, deep down in your hearts, you want to obey every word of the Bible. 
But how many of you actually do it? Let me ask you a, a piercing question this morning. You listen up here. Why don't you obey the Bible more than you do? How do you overcome disobedience and the power of your sinful flesh? Is there a formula that will assure that in any given situation you're able to win the battle against sin? And sin's marketing department of temptation? I believe there is. It's right there on your screen. That's how you do it. You watch and you pray. Boy, we're going to lay out point one and two. It's just going to all be introduction to lay out point three. We're going to talk about how to overcome sin's marketing department. How to overcome temptation, how to win the battle against the flesh. Jesus gives his inner circle the formula, tells them to watch and pray. You have a bulletin this morning on the back of that bulletin to our guests that may not know. There is a fill-in-the-blank outline. I encourage you to take notes as we go this morning. You can use this as a personal Bible study lately, all right? Let's consider three main thoughts out of Mark 14. Notice, number one, a willing spirit. A willing spirit. Go back to Mark 14 and look with me at verse number 38. Look there. It says, Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Read that next phrase with me. Ready? The Spirit truly is ready. Now, we find this same event in Matthew chapter 26. And notice how it is worded here. In Matthew 26, 41, not Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing. Mark gives us the word ready. Matthew gives us the word willing. Same idea, same Concept. I attended a youth camp um, back when I was a teenager. I remember there was powerful preaching on being a disciple, what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And I remember the preacher stood up there and he shared many stories of martyrs of the faith, people who had been murdered for their faith. Um went into great detail, riveting stories. Uh, there were tears that were flowing. There, there were, the man was an excellent storyteller. and he, he went on and on and on talking about these Christians in persecuted countries who had given up their life when being forced to choose between renouncing their faith or, or, or uh, living for Jesus. And um, uh, he, he preached this long sermon and told all these stories and uh, just powerful. And the idea of it was, are you willing to die for Christ? And talked about how dark America is getting and how that a day is coming where you very well may be asked in your lifetime to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he got to the invitation and he had every head bowed and he had every eye closed. And he uh, very methodically and carefully laid out this question. He said, if you would be willing to die for your faith, then I want you to stand up. And I sat there in my seat after hearing all those stories and I thought about that question. And after about 20 seconds of thinking very deeply on that, I stood up from my seat. He said, if you stood, I want you to look around the room and I want you to look up here at me. I would say probably a quarter of the crowd was standing. He said, look up here at me. He said, there is no soldier coming in that back door right now to take your life. No one is asking you to die for Jesus right now. But what is being asked of you is to go live for Jesus Christ. Dying for Jesus is one action in one moment of your life. Living for Jesus is to be every day of your life. There's no soldier, my friend, coming in that back door today. We have the First Amendment. We have the, the, the right freedom of religion. And we pray that stands for many years. We need to fight for that to stand for years to come. 
Christians, when you vote, you vote your biblical conscience before you vote your political preferences. We vote in order to maintain freedom of religion. No soldiers coming in that door today to take your life, I don't believe. And you're not going to have a gun put to your head this week and be challenged on your faith like others will on the other side of the globe, possibly. No one's asking you to die for Christ. But what Jesus is asking is that you live for Him. Talking about a willing spirit. Letter A, let's talk about being devoted to Christ. Devoted to Christ. Mark chapter 14, uh, verse 26. Many give lip service to living for Jesus Peter was one such man. Deep down, he believed that if push came to shove, he would be willing to die for Christ. Why? Peter had a willing spirit. Look at 26. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. So they're leaving the upper room. They've just had that first Lord's Supper, that inaugural Lord's Supper. 27. And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Um, uh, but after that I am risen, I will go before you in Galilee. So Jesus tells them, hey, listen, I'm going to be arrested tonight. All of you are going to flee. You're going to leave. None of you are going to stand by my side. You're going to take off. And uh, Peter is offended at Jesus' words. Look at 29. But Peter said unto him, although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Peter says, not me, man. I'm willing to stand with you to the death. I've heard many preachers criticize Peter for disagreeing with, with Jesus here. I am not a preacher that pushes back on what Peter said. In fact, I respect Peter's efforts to be devoted to Christ. Now, deep down inside, was Peter actually as devoted as he thought he was? We'll see in a moment that no, he was not. But Peter's spirit was willing. He was willing to try to live for Jesus. Deep down, he wanted to stand for Jesus. He wanted to die for Christ. His spirit was willing. Uh, He wanted to be able to do this, but the Lord knew his heart. Look down at verse number 30. The Lord knew he would not stand. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, or the rooster crows twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, Peter did, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. So Peter is saying, hey, no, I'm not going to flee. I'm going to stand with you. Uh, If I'm willing to die for you, surely I'm not going to deny you. And, And Peter is just vehement on this. I'm not going to deny you. I'm devoted to you. My spirit is willing. I'm ready to take a stand. I'm ready to be devoted. And all the disciples stand up and say, yeah, well, we wouldn't do that either. So Peter's spirit is willing. His spirit is willing. I'd ask you a question this morning. Do you have a heart that desires to do right? I remember when I was in a, growing up in a Christian school, I remembered a lot of the kids I went to school with, they just really didn't have a heart to do what was right. They just didn't. Uh, they would break the rules on purpose. Uh, they would uh, make fun of the te- Christian school, make fun of the teachers and the principal behind their back. That hurt my feelings. My dad was the principal. And uh, they, they, uh, they, uh, they just, and you know what? Sometimes I would do wrong and sometimes I'd got, get caught up in that. But you know what? Deep down in my heart, I have the Holy Spirit of God convicting me. And deep down inside, I felt guilt over that. And deep down inside, I would confess that and I would forsake that. I remember once I got caught chewing gum three times in the same day at school. Three times in the same day. I got caught in uh, first period English class. And um, the teacher spit, made me spit it out and gave me demerits for chewing gum. And um, I had a, bought a pack of um, bazooka bubble gum. How many of you are old enough to remember bazooka bubble gum? had a pack of that in my pocket. And um, so um, I got to my next class and I popped a piece of gum in my mouth. And, and I knew it was against the rules, but um, I was just, uh, you know, being a defiant, rebellious seventh grader. And, uh, the teacher gave me demerits for uh, chewing bubble gum. Didn't know the first period teacher had given me uh, demerits for that. And then got into a later period in the day, I think it was after lunch, and put another piece in my mouth. And that gum was just burning a hole in my pocket, you know. And put that in my mouth, and I got demerits a third time for chewing bubble gum by yet a third teacher. And back that school, it was hardcore. Your demerits were public knowledge, and uh, they got posted in the hallway bulletin board. All right, your name, 
what the infraction was, how many demerits you got, and the total demerits you have was public knowledge all year long in, in this school. My dad, he didn't mess around. He's the principal. And I remember one Saturday after all this happened, uh, my dad was there doing some work, and I was um, down in the gymnasium playing basketball. And, and my dad comes downstairs and say, hey, come up here with me for a minute. And so I come up, and he's got the staple gun out, and he's stapling the demerits to the board. And he had stapled up the demerits that had them up there. He said that you got three demerits in first period, and three demerits in second period, and three demerits in fifth period. He said, I decided to give you another five demerits for intentional disobedience. He said, he said look at me. He said, I'm not going to spank you this time, but I want you to know this. You have a heart problem with God. I wish he'd have just spanked me. <laughs> I melted down the stairs back into the gymnasium. The southern idiom would be lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut. All right? I was lower than low. I was low. And you know what? He was 100% right. I had a heart problem. My spirit wanted to do right. I would tell people on Wednesdays and Sundays at church, I'm devoted to Christ. Boy, I have learned lots of Bible verses. I knew the stories. I was devoted, but then I would fall. Not only are we to be devoted to Christ, notice letter B, we're to be defenders of Christ. Defenders of Christ. So you know the story, right? Peter and, and James and John, they fall asleep while Jesus is in agony praying. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. And then Judas comes and gives Jesus a kiss on the cheek and betrays him. And the Roman soldiers, uh, they lay hands on Jesus and they're arresting him. Well, while they're laying hands on Jesus, Peter wakes up and, 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 and in his abrupt awakeness, he draws out his sword and just starts swinging that thing, trying to defend the Lord. Look at Mark 14, look at verse 46. And they laid their hands on him, Jesus, and took him. And one of them that stood by, drew a sword, and smote a servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. Now, Mark is nice about it. He leaves this individual anonymous. John just comes right out and says, it was Peter. <laughs> Peter did it. John 18, 10 and 11, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath, the cup of which the Father hath given me. Shall I not drink it? Peter, sleeping, Judas, Roman soldiers come. Peter wills out, takes out the sword and just starts wildly swinging it. Many Christians who have a willing spirit, boy, they are zealous for the Lord. They wield the sword of the Lord with great earnest and zeal, but they end up hurting people in the process. And listen, if you're zealous for the Lord this morning, I don't want to throw a wet uh, a blanket on your zeal. Boy, be zealous for the Lord. But in your zeal, make sure you're knowledgeable about what you're doing. And zeal without knowledge is extremely dangerous. One thing that you do have to give uh, Peter credit for is that he did uh, more than those who took off and ran, right? The eight at the base of the mountain, when they saw the Roman soldiers coming, then they booked it. They took off. They ran into hiding. Um, uh, uh, Peter actually didn't run. He actually pulled out his sword and tried to do something. His willing spirit caused him to take action to defend his master. But Peter was still very immature in the Lord. One moment he's defending his master... But we'll see in great detail here that he's about to betray his master. I would ask you this morning this question. Is there a desire down in your heart to do right? Now, here's a good, I get asked a lot, Pastor, how do I know if I'm actually saved? I won't ask you to raise your hands this morning, but I wonder how many of you have ever wondered Am I actually saved? Did, did, did that transaction fully take place? Have I been forgiven of my sins? Am I on my way to heaven? Here's a litmus test for you to know whether or not you're truly saved. All right? And if you're taking notes, I would recommend you write this down. Where there is no conviction over sin, or where there is no conviction for sin, there's been no conversion from sin. Write that down. Where there is no conviction for sin, there's been no conversion from sin. Where there is no conviction 
for sin, there is no, there's been no conversion from sin. You see, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit moves inside your heart and He indwells you. And every time you do wrong, there's a little poke on the inside of your chest that says, hey, you ought not do that. Hey, that's not right. Hey, you shouldn't have listened to that. You shouldn't have gone there. You shouldn't have been wrapped up in that. You shouldn't have been involved in that. Now, you may ignore the still small voice of the Lord, but you know it's there. And you can't get away with it. By the way, a lost person can sear their conscience, and their conscience will no longer bother them over sin. But a Christian cannot sear his conscience. No matter how many times you do wrong, you know deep down it's wrong. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Is there a driving force inside of you that pushes you to do right? Do you feel a burden to do right? Is there this driving desire inside of you that says, I want to read my Bible more, and I want to pray more, and I want to be more vocal about my faith, and I want to be more faithful to church, and I wish I went to more church services, and I wish I was a better Christian. If that's there, then my friend, you have a willing spirit. But let's talk about the tension inside of us and talk about number two, a weak flesh. A weak flesh. Go back to Mark 14 and verse 38 with me in your Bibles. Mark 14 and verse 38. Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The Spirit truly is ready. Let's finish the verse together. together. Ready? But the flesh is weak. Again, the flesh is weak. When your spirit is led by God's spirit, there is a tension that runs down to the very core of who you are. The flesh never wants to participate, right? I remember when my kids were babies. Now uh, my, my children are, uh, uh, Matthew will be 14 this week. <laughs> Happy birthday, Matthew. Uh, 14 and April's 12 years old. And so I don't have this issue anymore. But I remember when they were four and two and we were trying to take them places that they just didn't want to go, right? How many of you ever tried to pick up a toddler who was giving you the dead weight? They just plunk down, right? And you pick them up and they're like, right? And, um, man, 50 pounds has never been so heavy, has it? I mean, they're working every muscle against you. And, and that's the flesh, right? You come to church and you're like, you know what? I'm going to be more faithful to, to the church house. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to pray. And you wake up the next morning and the flesh is like... <laughs> the uh, four of us in our, in our home... Um, Occasionally we'll do, or we have tried to do, it doesn't happen as much anymore, a, a family movie night, alright? And, uh, the Lejeunes have extremely high standards for the movies they watch. And we even have a, a app that helps us cut out stuff that's not appropriate, that kind of thing. And, uh, I gotta tell you, movie night in the Lejeune house is very difficult. Because Miss Angela does not like watching anything that couldn't actually happen in real life. So superhero movies are out, right? We're not, the four of us, going to sit down and watch a superhero movie. It's just not going to happen. Miss Angela wants nothing to do with it, and um, me and Matthew want nothing to do with love movies. All right? Am I alone, men? Okay, you guys know what I'm talking about? I don't want to see two people ushy-mushy fall in love, all right? I'm out on that, all right? So, you know... um, Angela and April have fallen in love with Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. And, um, you know, me and Matthew want nothing to do with that stuff because um, we're real men, right? And, and so, uh, you know, occasionally we'll find a movie that three of us really want to watch. There's always that one. I don't want to watch that. That's kind of like your flesh, right? All of you gets going in the right direction. I want to do right, and your flesh is, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go out sharing my faith. People are going to think you're a lunatic. The flesh... The flesh is weak. It, it doesn't have the capacity to get in line and 
follow orders and do what it's told. Uh, you, you come to church and you hear preaching like the sermon today and you commit and, and you say to your, your heart, you say, I'm going to be faithful to church. I'm going to be there every single Sunday morning. I'm not going to just show up a couple of times a month. I'm going to be there every week, weekend and week out. It's going to be a constant in my life. And two or three Sundays from now, you've had a long week. And the flesh says, just stay in bed. You commit. I'm going to give up sinful habits. I'm going to stop smoking cigarettes or drinking alcohol. I'm going to give up cursing. I'm, I'm going to clean up my mouth. Well, then, you know, you go two, three days and all is well, but then you get sideways over something or you get anxious over a situation and, and you revert right back into that sinful habit that appeases and soothes and calms the flesh. Why? Because your flesh is weak. You commit. I'm going to forgive my friend or my loved one that has deeply hurt me. Then you see them or you remember what they did and bitterness just grabs right back hold of your heart. Your spirit is willing, but the flesh is so weak. We look closely at Mark 14. We see what it was that, uh, that w- rather we see how Peter's flesh failed him. And we see there's ve- two very clear reasons, and there's more than two reasons why our flesh is weak. But let me give you the two I see in Mark 14, and I believe these greatly apply to everyone here this morning. Uh, uh, let, notice letter A, we see uh, the weakness of our flesh. We see fatigue. Fatigue. Look at Mark 14, and look at verse number 33. Look at Mark 14. Am I, am I preaching where you're living this morning? Is this stuff applicable to... I know it's applicable to me. I assume that this is applicable to all of us. We all have this tension going on inside of us. Look at verse 33. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed, and to be very heavy, and saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forth a little, and fell on the ground, and prayed that if it were possible the hour might pass from him. And he said, notice Jesus here speaking to his father. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping. And saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch? One hour. Now this uh, this passage, it it's quite perplexing. You have Jesus and his disciples, and you know they leave the upper room. You have to understand something about Jesus. For three and a half years, Peter and the disciples had been with him, and you know Jesus was the bedrock of emotional stability. Jesus was not up one day and down the next. Jesus was not carefree one day and filled with anxiety the next. Jesus, boy, he was just, he was just Mr. Stable, right? He was, uh, he was the Spirit of God, uh, uh, wrapped in human flesh and, and, and here he is, a perfect man walking in every way. And for the first time in three and a half years, the disciples saw Jesus rattled. The Bible says he began to be very sore amazed and very heavy. You know what that means? That means he began to sweat. He began to probably wring his hands. His body language changed and he began maybe to pace back and forth. You know, if you're Peter, James, and John, you've got to be looking at Jesus going, boy, something, something's not right. Something's off here. And Jesus is, is in such, uh, in such agony that he takes them to a place. He's moaning in his spirit. And he says to the three of them, he says, pray right here. I'm going to go a stone's throw away. I need you to labor and pray with me here. I need you to support me. And what did those knuckleheads do? They went to sleep. Unbelievable. Have you ever been bearing your soul to someone? 
you know, opening, opening up your heart. And men, we have a hard time doing this, guys, don't we? Opening up our heart and making yourself vulnerable. And, you know, man, man yeah, sir, you're laying there, maybe you pillow talk with a wife, and you're sharing your deepest thoughts and your greatest ambitions and desires and, 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 and your dreams of your future. And all of a sudden, you hear a noise. It's your wife snoring. You think, oh, you love me, don't you? You care for me, don't you? Yeah, I'm guessing that probably happens the other way around most of the time, doesn't it? All right. How's that make you feel? To know that in that moment of great, I, I have it happen while I'm preaching. Can you believe people sleep while I'm preaching? Can you believe that? Inject someone with truth sermon and say, Pastor, if you'd stop preaching so long, less people would fall asleep. It's your full fault. You heard about the uh, preacher said to the woman, he said, Ma'am, wake your husband up. He's snoring. And she said, You put him to sleep, you wake him up. (laughs) They're sleeping. Now, the reality is that Peter fell asleep because Peter was exhausted. He was exhausted. I have, uh, I, I, I shared at Wednesday night that it took me five years to finish a four-year college degree uh, because I was working a full-time job an hour from the campus and fully involved on a ministry Saturday and Sunday. And uh, I, I failed my junior year and had to do it twice. And then when I got to graduation day, my GPA was just barely high enough to even they, they, for them to even let me march. And I'm glad the church didn't pull my transcripts before they voted on me. Amen. Uh, but I was exhausted. I was exhausted. I slept through a lot of uh, uh, services in church. I slept through a lot of my classes and um, nodding off and sleeping. And you know what? Fatigue is the driving force of a lot of sin. A lot of people do wrong because they're tired. Because they're tired. Um, do we understand that airplane pilots, the airline industry, has this word called margin built into everything they do, right? Now, not to how many people they pack on a plane, but everything else, there's margin built in. Or let me, let me explain to you what I mean here, and this relates to how we ought to live our lives. Um, have, you ever, have you ever taken off on time with a flight and arrived at your gate 40 minutes early, 30, 40 minutes early? Why is that? That's a common occurrence, especially if you have like an early morning flight. Why do you get to your... Because they have built in margin in the time. They want you to get there uh, early if possible, and they want that if you get stuck on the runway waiting to taxi, or, or, or there's a delay at the gate, or you land and there's no gate available, they want to be able to have some delay built in, and you still get off the plane on time. That's margin being built in. How about with pilots, right? Or rather with the plane, uh, they, they will put, when you land an airplane, generally there's still at least 50% of the fuel left in the tank. And you know what? Uh, I was flying back from Peru the last time I went with my family, and we had a flight from, connecting flight from Houston to New York City, and uh, there were some storms in uh, New York City, and so they wouldn't let us land. And so that airplane circled around uh, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Virginia for about an hour and a half before they let us land. It's a good thing they had extra fuel in the plane so that we didn't crash and burn or have to land somewhere else. And an airplane pilot will land generally with several hours left of uh, permission to fly. There's margin built in, and that's why with the airline industry, so few airplanes crash and burn. In fact, you're safer statistically to fly than you are to drive. Do you know why? Because margin is built into everything. Some of you struggle with sin because you don't have any margin built into your life. You run on four, five, six hours of sleep. Can I just give you one little tidbit of advice? Charge your smartphone away from your bed. And if you have teenagers, don't let them take their smartphones to bed. But that's another sermon from the time. Amen? Don't let that thing keep you up at night. Go to bed. Go to sleep. Get seven, eight hours of sleep. Uh, by the way, it's not just physical rest you need. You need emotional rest. And you need spiritual rest. Watch this. 
Physical labor needs physical rest. Spiritual labor needs spiritual rest. And emotional labor needs emotional rest. Too many people, uh, uh, too many people run on empty and they find it very hard to say no to sin. By the way, you're more likely to get wrapped up in sin late into the evening than you are at the beginning of your day. Why? Because your flesh is weak. I have learned as a married man there are certain delicate topics my wife and I have just learned to stay away from the hour leading up to bedtime. All right? Those are topics that we can discuss and, and be productive in our discussions in the first half of the day. Boy, the last hour or two right before we go to bed, it's better just to leave them alone. Why? Because when you get tired, your flesh is weak. Let me speak to all the single people in the room. And by single, I mean anyone who's unmarried, all right? Unmarried and dating. Unmarried or dating or want to be dating. Be careful about being with that person you're attracted to after a certain hour. I, I'm going to be very clear here. The Bible is very clear on this. Premarital sex is a sin. I don't say that to be mean or unkind. I wish more Baptist pastors would say that from their pulpit. All right? We want to coddle everybody. I actually heard a preacher yesterday say that God does not judge you. Yes, He does. He is the judge of the universe. His job is to judge you. Okay? So if you're living in sin, you're having premarital sex, that is a sin. S-I-N. Let's see. S-I-N. Right? Okay. Sin. And you know what? It's wrong. You need not to do it. Now, I'm not here to be a jerk. I'm just here to stand where the Bible stands. And listen, uh, you ought to stay away from that. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, we're to flee fornication. That means we're to run in the opposite direction of it. Let me tell you how not to flee from fornication. Be out with your boyfriend or girlfriend at 11 o'clock or midnight or later. You know what you are? Your flesh is tired and you're going to be tempted to do things you shouldn't do. You say, oh, well, not me. I'm better than that. You're exactly the candidate that's going to fall into sin. You probably shouldn't even be on the phone with him after a certain time. Hang that thing up and go to bed and get some sleep and talk to him in the morning. We sin when we're tired. Fatigue. Why did Peter fall asleep and leave Jesus by himself? Boy, his spirit was willing. I'll stand with you to the death. But his flesh was weak. Notice the other reason we see here is fear. Fear. The Bible tells us that God hath not given us the spirit of church but of power and of love and of a, a sound mind. You know what? It's easy to have a sound mind when life is going great and grand. You know what? When you get a raise at work, anybody can have a sound mind. Uh, when uh, when uh, your va- favorite sports team wins, it's easy to have a sound mind. But how about when life hits you with an emergency? How about when you find out like Miss Cheryl that your daughter just had a heart attack two days after she had a stroke and her life is hanging in the balance? Can you have a sound mind in times like that? How about you parents, you get that phone call and find out that your children, one of your children have been involved in a very serious car accident and their life is hanging in the balance? How about when you find out that someone you care for deeply suddenly died? Boy, can you have a sound mind in times like that? How about when your whole life is turned upside down for one reason or another? You see, we only can have a sound mind when we have full faith that God has everything under control. Our weak flesh allows fear to grip the heart. Some very bad things can come out of it. Let me give you here three things that come out of a fearful heart. Fear leads to, notice, fear leads to abandonment. Look at verse 46 of Mark 14. The Bible says, And they led, they laid their hands on him and took him. Speaking of Jesus. So they come and they arrest Jesus. And what do the fearful disciples do? Look at verse 50. And they all forsook him and fled. So what happened is that Jesus is arrested. The disciples just get up and leave. They flee. They don't want to be there. They take off. Too many people when Life gets tough and they have an emergency. They don't run to church, they run from church. They don't run to the Bible, they run from the Bible. They don't run to their Christian practices, they run away from their Christian practices. Uh, they, they don't become more devoted to Christ, they 
abandon Christ. They run from Christ. They, they will give lip service to the fact that they're a Christian, but deep down inside, boy, they're not doing what they ought to do. Why? Fear has driven abandonment. But notice, fear not only leads to abandonment, fear can lead to apprehension. Fear leads to apprehension. Look at Mark 14. Look at verse 53. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and uh, with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. I have this underlined on my Bible, the first phrase of verse 14. Look here. And Peter followed him afar off. Peter followed him afar off. Even to the palace of the high priest, and he sat with the, sat with the servants and warmed himself with the fire. Peter followed him afar off. Uh, and, and I love this phrase. It's been a constant reminder to me through my Christian life. Watch this now. His direction was right. His distance was wrong. He was walking behind Jesus. His direction was right. Oh, but his distance was wrong. He, watch, he was doing the right things, but he had no intimacy with the Lord. Two disciples that did not run. John, who stayed next to Jesus at the trial and then at the cross. Peter, however, he took a little bit different approach. He followed afar off. And watch this. When fear drives you to apprehension, it will eventually lead you to appeasement. To appeasement. It will lead leads to appeasement. Look at verse number 66. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids, a little girl. You have a grown man and a little girl. Peter's about to be afraid of a little girl. His fear has driven him to paranoia. There cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went on out into the porch, and the cock crew, the rooster crowed. And a maid saw him again, and began... Uh, and, and began to say to them that stood by. So, uh, get the visual, right? Peter's by himself, warming his hands by a fire. The little girl comes up and says, you're one of Jesus' followers. She says, no, I'm not. He walks away from her into another space. She follows him in and says, yes, you are. You're one of his followers. This little girl's not going to leave him alone. Verse 70, and he denied it again. A little after, uh, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. 71, we see his appeasement of the crowd. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. And the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the words that Jesus said unto them, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. Peter allowed his heart to be gripped with fear. He now denied Jesus and took up cursing to prove that he was not a disciple of Christ. The Bible says that he went out and he wept. How many of you know the discouragement, the very discouragement that Peter felt right here? What you wanted to do right. You tried so hard to overcome that sin wanted to live for the Lord. And then when it came down to brass tacks, you fell apart. Boy, that is so discouraging. Is it possible to consistently win the battle against this old flesh? Well, buried in this story are the truths that help us to overcome. We've seen a willing spirit. We've seen a weak flesh. Let's look at Christ's answer to the problem. Number three, notice, a wise solution. A wise solution. Look at verse 38. Mark 14, verse 30. Let's look at the Lord's words of wisdom on how to deal with this battle within. Look at verse 38. Read those four, first four words with me. Ready? Everybody there? Ready? Here we go. Watch ye and pray. Watch ye and pray. There's the answer, folks. 
Hey, listen, it's been right there all along. You keep losing those battles all along. Jesus has given us the answer to overcome the flesh and to have the Spirit win out. Watch ye and pray. Let me give you an A to B here. Notice, watch diligently. Watch diligently. Look at verse 38. Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Now, 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Is it a sin to be tempted? Is it a sin to be tempted, church? No, it's not. Jesus was tempted. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that, uh, that Jesus in all points was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. In preparation for the sermon, I read a very good illustration about this. It talked about when the first transcontinental railroad was built, that one of the engineers built a trust bridge, and uh, he loaded down every single freight car he could and made them as heavy as possible, and he drove this train to where it was fully centered on this bridge, and as much weight on the bridge as he could get, and then he got out of the train and he left it there for 24 hours. And one of the workers looked at the engineer and said, are you trying to break the bridge? And the engineer looked at him and said, I'm trying to prove it can't be broken. You know, when Jesus was tempted, you know what that proved? That proved that Jesus could not sin. He could be tempted. Listen, Jesus had the flesh of a man indwelled by the Spirit of God. And while the flesh was tempted, the Spirit was going to overcome every single temptation because He was God. You and I are not God, and you and I are capable of sin. And you and I, when we face temptation, we're likely to fall into it. Now, there are two types of temptations. There are those temptations that are avoidable, right? I don't have a problem with alcohol. I've never actually even had a sip of alcohol ever in my life. I don't know what it is to be drunk. I've never, I'm not even tempted that direction. If you're here and you struggle with that, I probably struggle with something that you don't. So it all comes out in the wash. But for the sake of illustration, watch this now. If I go eat at Chili's or Longhorn, I am not tempted by the bar at all. Zero, because I've never had a drink. And I've got no desire to go over there and get a drink. You know what's foolish if you've been an alcoholic and you're a recovering alcoholic? It's foolish for you to go sit at a bar and order a Diet Coke. You know what you're probably going to do? You know what you're going to do. You're going to go back a second time and a third time. You're going to drink. And then you're going to drink yourself drunk. And then you're going to be in violation of the Bible. It's one thing to have temptation find you. It's another thing for you to go hang out where temptation exists. We're commanded to watch diligently. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. The Bible talks about the devil being a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Um, Let's just pretend, and I want to be very clear, this has not happened that I'm aware of. Let's just pretend that the lion at the Beardsley Zoo escaped. And he was spotted in your neighborhood. You going to let your kids play in the backyard? I bet you're going to clear all that junk out of your garage and start parking your car in the garage. Right? You'd be, you'd be a little uh, uh, on edge about even walking to the car sitting in the driveway. That lion can pounce. Are you even aware that Satan is lurking to get you at all times with his temptation? Church, we've become so desensitized over sin because it's in our face all the time. And we shrug our shoulders and say, it's not that bad. Sin put Jesus on the cross. Sin ruins lives. Sin breaks homes. Sin sends people to hell. Sin brings divorce. Sin brings hurt. Sin brings destruction. Sin brings death. And we're to do everything we can to identify temptation and steer clear of it. We're to watch diligently. You know, that might mean that there are some things in your home that need to go out the door so you're not constantly tempted with sin. God says it's time for you to get rid of this or it's time for you to remove that. I want it to go so you can avoid temptation. 
Hebrews 2.18 says, For in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. One of my favorite verses uh, in the book of Hebrews, and I, the book of Hebrews might be my favorite book in the New Testament, but the word succor means to assist to aid, to run along the side of and help. Hey, I'm struggling with temptation. I'm about to cave and give in. I'm about to do wrong. Lord, will you help me overcome the temptation? All of a sudden, the Lord comes alongside of you and He assists, He aids, He supports, He secures, and you're able to overcome because you're watching diligently. Hey, listen, don't even walk down the paths that lead to sin. Letter A, watch diligently. Letter B, we see Jesus says to pray. And we see that we're to pray daily. Pray daily. Look at verse 38. Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Alright, let's finish out the sermon this morning in Luke chapter number 11. Turn over to Luke chapter 11. And by the way, I get loud and I preach with passion. I'm not angry at any of you. Alright, I promise there's not an angry bone in my body. I just genuinely believe what I'm preaching and I passionately believe it. And I want to motivate you to go out here and put these things into practice this morning. Luke chapter number 11 and look at verse number 1. You cannot, let me make the statement before we read the passage. You cannot overcome sin without the power of prayer. It is impossible, listen to me, it is impossible to overcome the power of sin without the power of prayer. You cannot and you will not do it. You say, but pastor, I'm trying real hard. Trying real hard without prayer is fruitless. You say, pastor, I go to church. I'm going to tell you right now, going to church without prayer will help you overcome nothing. You say, but I read my Bible every day. Hey, I think you should read your Bible every day. If you're not going to pray, you cannot and will not overcome sin. Look at Luke chapter 11, look at verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of the disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Hey, by the way, I think you ought to ask the Lord to teach you how to pray. As John also taught his disciples, and he said unto them, Watch when ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed or holy, be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Look at verse 3. Give us, look here, read it with me. Day by day, our daily bread. You know how often you're supposed to pray? Day by day. You know, God gives you the strength to overcome when you day by day that you pray. And you ought to pray more than once a day, but you ought to have one hearty time a day for a 20-minute to an hour-long window at bare minimum where you're seeking God's face. You are fervently pushing all distractions out and you are praying. You're seeking that daily bread. Verse 4, And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Look at the rest of this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You cannot overcome temptation through the power of the flesh. Look, I've been an assistant pastor's kid my whole life. I've been in church since nine months before I was born. I got saved when I was four years old. I've been in church ministry since I graduated from Bible college. I, all I know is going to church and loving the Bible and loving God. But let me tell you right now, I've had some deep sin in my life, and the only way I've been able to overcome any of it is through the power of the Spirit of God working through me. It's never been through my own strength. In fact, any time I've tried to do it through my strength, I have failed. And I have never overcome sin without the power of prayer. Here's what happens. Every morning, you wake up, and you get out of bed, and you bend a knee, and you say to the Lord, you say, Lord, today I struggled with, or Lord, yesterday I struggled with this sin. And I acknowledge that it's wrong. And I want to break free from it. Deliver me from evil and lead me away from the temptation. Help me to stay away from it. And you know what God's going to say to you? He's going to say, all right, then this has got to go out of your life. And that's, oh, Lord, but I love that. Well, don't walk down the path of sin. Don't take, you got to get rid of the temptation. Okay, Lord. And you pray about that day after day after day. And the Lord helps you make those changes and you're able to overcome. Some of you in the, here this morning have a problem with complaining. 
You're not going to overcome complaining until you ask God to deliver you. Some of you have a problem with cursing or drinking beer or smoking cigarettes or sexual lust or listening to godless sinful music. You ask God to lead you away from the temptation and to deliver you from evil's grip. Now again, He may ask you to change some things in your lifestyle. It may require that you move or break off a relationship or get some real accountability. But if you're serious enough to pray daily over it, then God will give you the strength to overcome it. Why do Baptist Church, I finished my message this morning with this question. Are you watching? Are you praying? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Every head bowed, every eye closed. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite each of you to come forward and pray as God works in your heart. But before we do that, I just have a few basic questions I want to ask you this morning. Question number one, if you die today, are you certain that you would go to heaven? How many here this morning would say, Pastor, there was a day and time in my life that I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior How many of you would testify with an uplifted hand that you are a born-again child of God? If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I know that I'm going to heaven. I've given my heart to Jesus. If that's you, would you hold up your hand, even if it's just the formality of it? If that's you, would you please hold up your hand? You can put them down. I couldn't tell if every hand was raised or not, but if you didn't raise your hand this morning, I want to thank you for your honesty. Is there one here today that would say, Pastor, if I were to die today, I am not certain where I would spend eternity. I'm not against heaven or hell. I'm not against the Bible or this church. But the reality is I'm just not really sure. My friend, I have no desire to embarrass you in any way. But with everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed, if you do not know where you would spend eternity, would you just raise your hand so I could pray for you? Is there one today I just don't know? If I were to die, I'd go to heaven. Would you raise your hand so I could pray for you? I don't see any hands in the room. I hope that means everyone here has put their faith and trust in Christ. But if you have not, we sure do want to help you to make that decision. One more question this morning. Who here today would say, Pastor, while I am a believer in Jesus Christ... I sure can't identify with Peter. My spirit wants to do right. It's willing. It's willing. Oh, but my flesh is so weak. I admit that I need to do more watching and praying. Pastor Lejeune, please pray for me that I would be more aware of sin and temptation and that I would pray daily to overcome. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Keep them up for a moment. I want to see who I, I want to see. I want to know who I'm praying for this morning. Amen. I see your hands. They're all over the room. Oh, probably 30, 40% of the room had their hand raised this morning. This is an area of serious work. We've got to get in the trenches and got to go to work. You can put your hands down. Who here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, life's been tough on me lately and I'm carrying some heavy things. And if I'm just being honest and transparent, I'm, I'm a little discouraged I'm, uh, I'm battling some hardships. Pastor, would you pray for me today? If that's you, would you hold up your hand? I'm going through some tough stuff right now. I just need your prayer, Pastor. I see your hands. And I want each of you to know I love you. And I will, I will pray for you this week. Dear Lord God, would you help us today to be people who win the battle over sin? You have called us to holiness. You have called us to vigilance. You have called us to devoted prayer. Lord, may we be a people that fights spiritual war with spiritual weapons. Lord God, guide us this morning and work in our hearts. Lord, help people to make real decisions that actually equate to real change in day-to-day living. 
Lord God, convict us of sin and give us victory in truth. In Jesus' name.